Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the research for truth and meaning. And we're very glad you're here. Let us end this time of reflection by saying together the Buddhist loving-kindness meditation. I'll say a line and you say it after me, should you choose to. The first time through, we say this for ourselves. May I be free from danger. May I be mentally happy. May I be physically happy. May I have ease of well-being. The second time we say this for someone we love. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. The third time as a spiritual exercise, we say this for someone against whom we have a resentment. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. May it be so. I don't know how many of you have seen the classic film from the turn of the century called The Matrix. Didn't feel like that long ago, did it? In it, um, Keanu Reeves plays a young computer hacker who wakes up to the reality of the Matrix, a virtual reality grid that feeds off of human energy. And humans are kept asleep in embryonic eggs while a virtual life movie plays in their brain. And the, the first message that he gets, his name is Neo, the first message that Neo gets from the deeper reality is, wake up, Neo. In the movie, once Neo woke up to the fact that the reality of the Matrix was an illusion, he grew capable of grasping that the bullets coming at him weren't real, and then he was able to move around among the bullets, and he was able to move around in the pseudo-reality of the Matrix, aware of it as an illusion, and more and more aware of the deeper reality. I don't know if you know how deeply Buddhist a movie The Matrix is. Um, I'm going to be talking about Buddhism now and then over the next months. Buddhism has what is called an eightfold path. It's not a path that you step on like stepping stones. First you do this, check. Then you do this, check. It's more like um, a braided stream of a path. You you do all of the eight things. You hold them in mind as like a... Uh, eight playing cards in your hand, and sometimes you put this one on the table and sometimes that one, and sometimes three of them at the same time come into play. It's an eightfold, eight-part path. And they have to do with understanding, how to understand the reality and the unreality, 
and it has to do with practice and behavior. What do you do to be um, in this system of thought? How do you behave to be in this system of thought and behavior? And the whole point of why you do it is in order to move away from suffering and toward freedom. And so if you're not suffering, no big deal. This is not for you. But um, if you do suffer and you want to be free, then this might be of interest, they say. And the first component of the Eightfold Path, the first part is right understanding, which means that you have to get it. You have to understand what's going on. And getting it is the first part of the path. That's what you do first. You, you might get wake-up Neo messages. And they might be in Lawrence Fishburne's voice. You might hear this dark, wonderful, velvety voice going, wake-up Neo. Or you might not. It might be something else, nonverbal. But you might just get a tiny little, wait a minute. Something is real here and something else is not real here. You catch a glimpse of the truth of the way things work, or you have a glimmer of a sense that some people are causing their own suffering. Sometimes it's easier to see it in other people than it is in yourself, and it's way more fun to diagnose other people. And sometimes you get a glimpse that disquietude lurks at the corners of your life, and that grief and hope and fear and hunger for security are driving you, that those are the elements that drive you. And so I've called this sermon Abandon Hope and Fear because hope keeps you looking toward the future and fear uh, it's both a past and a future thing, and both of them argue against staying right in the moment. And staying is what this Buddhist Eightfold Path is about. How do you stay in the moment without trying to escape it by hoping for something better or being afraid of something worse that might be coming down the pike? How do you stay? Because I get a glimpse every now and then of how very simple and easy my life would be if I could just stop being anxious about stuff that's about to happen or things that did happen or things that might happen or uh, things that might not happen. If you took away the anxiety, the dread, the fear, boy, you'd have so much mind room to do other things. You'd probably write novels and And you think, how much time in my life do I spend thinking, am I doing this right? Are are people going to have a good time at my party? Will I get well again? Will I end up a bag lady? I have one friend who's haunted by a picture in his mind of people milling around at his funeral. And what they're doing is they're shaking their heads and they're saying, man, he never made anything of himself. That drives him. Moment after moment for most people is filled with hope that things will go well and fear that things won't. And that life is a roller coaster. 
And I don't know how many of you are familiar with the poet John Prine who said, sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. It's a half an inch of water and you think you're going to drown. That's the way that the world goes around. So here's what Buddhism teaches. And this is just common sense. You know this already. Things happen to you. And then you have thoughts about the things that happened to you. You make up stories about it. You make up interpretations. You think, this shouldn't be happening, which causes suffering because it it is happening. Or this is happening as a punishment. I did something wrong. Or my life is unfair. Or I'm unlucky and I'm unblessed. And Buddhism says that all of these are just thoughts about what happened. And they don't have really anything to do with reality. They're just thoughts that are causing you suffering. And there's a way to end the suffering. And if you're interested, they say, try it. You don't have to believe in it. I love that. It's very relaxing to me. You don't have to believe in it. They make no demand at all. They just say, try it and see what happens. It might work or it might not work. In your life, you will have pain. But most of us have pain, and then we suffer over the pain because of the stories that we tell ourselves about the pain. This is going to get so much worse. I don't know what's wrong. I shouldn't be having this pain. I, I, if I only ate more kale, I wouldn't have this pain. And so the Eightfold Path is a way to train yourself mentally and morally and physically and mentally, oh, I said that already, um, to be free from suffering and from the thoughts that you've had. And the Eightfold Path is this, I'll name them off, Um, right understanding, that's the one we're talking about this morning, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. Okay, so what's right understanding? That's the first part. That's getting it. That involves seeing things the way they are. You have to see the way things are. And you have to understand that you suffer because you have an idea of how things should go, and they're not going that way. You suffer because you have an idea of the way things should go, and they're not going that way. So... You crave, you cling, you hope, you fear, and you're not free. You hope that this interview will go well, and you're anxious about it, and you're worried afterwards about whether they like you. And if you get the job, you worry about doing a good job and maybe losing the job. And if you don't get the job, then you worry about what happened, what did I do? They didn't like me. You have this idea about how it should go, and you have interpretations of how it went and ideas from your interpretations, and you, you might be making yourself suffer unnecessarily. Or say, somebody that you love is drinking again or using again, and you have thoughts about that. They're doing that because they don't care about me. And if they really loved me, 
they would want things to be good for us, and so they wouldn't do that. And it feels as though they're drinking at you or using at you when, in fact, it's a just-so story. They're doing this thing. Or you have this thought, I want to write. Why am I not writing? I'm not writing because I'm not inspired. I'm not writing because I don't have the right pen. I don't have the right computer. I don't have the right software. I don't have a room of my own. I don't have a place I can go. I'm saying these fast because I've done all these. Um, And really, the reason, according to Buddhism, that you're not writing is that you're not writing. And the way to do it is to do it. Yeah. And don't clean the house first. You just, you just do it. And so all of these hopes about how things should go and all of these fears about how things could be um, cause you anxiety and you miss a lot of your life. You don't enjoy dinner parties like you should because you're being anxious, or you don't enjoy the health of your body because you're being anxious, or you don't enjoy a certain conversation because you're worried that you're sounding dumb or that you said something wrong or that you won't be accepted somehow. Wake up. Get it that all it is is things happening. These things happen. You do what you do, and you don't do what you don't do. And you can tell yourself all the story in the world about what you're doing, what you're not doing, but really you're just doing it or not doing it. There are certain things you can control. You can make an interview go better by preparing, uh, by presenting yourself as a good fit for whatever place you're going to. You make, you know, you've all seen that TED talk about how you make power positions in the bathroom before you go into the interview. You have to go, I am wonderful, I am victorious, and then you go into the interview and somehow your body language is better and your vibe is better, and um, anyway, you do what you can, and then you have to let go of the outcome. I had this, um, I used to send out a lot of things, my writings, to try to get them published, and there was an envelope one time that I bought at the post office that had a strip on the pre-sticky flap that said, detach before mailing. And I I detached it, and then I put it on my bulletin board where I could see that I had to detach before mailing things out. And so um, I used to say things to people like, uh, you probably should detach from the outcome of this. I I hope I don't say that very much anymore because it's obnoxious. Wise but obnoxious. Um, Detach from the outcome. And people would say, what, you want me not to care? Okay. So if someone in your family is doing something self-destructive, All you can do about it is say your piece when the window of influence is open and then be quiet and do whatever you can um, to prevent them using and try not to be 
all wrapped up in it so that you have a bad day when they have a bad day and you have a good day when they have a good day. If your good day is dependent on somebody else having a good day, you're too attached. Does that make sense? And so it doesn't mean you don't care, but it does mean that you get it. You get it that you are not in control. So you can, if you can care while remaining aware that you're not in control, remaining aware that you're telling yourself lots of stories about what they're doing, then care all you want. But if caring for you means being miserable, if they're miserable, then Buddhism says, take a step back. I am not a good Buddhist. I'm not. I've been studying it for many, 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 many years, but I'm a Unitarian Universalist. And sometimes I can detach, and other times I'm very passionately attached. And it causes me suffering, but I'm willing to live with it because I enjoy the passion. But if I find that I'm suffering more than I'm enjoying, then I try to detach, which means I'm not in really good practice about it. But I know what I should be doing sometimes. So Buddhist practice is the way to get good at holding the outcomes lightly. Buddhist practice is spending time in quiet, paying attention to your breath. That's one kind of Buddhist practice. Just if you were to just take 10 deep breaths five times a day, that would be a great start. And in that quiet time, that helps your mind see more clearly because when you're not thinking or when you're actively watching your thinking, you see those thoughts scurrying across the field like little mice in front of you, and you see yourself telling the story about what's happening to you. And you see how much you're wrapped up in the story. You go, I'm sitting, I'm meditating, I'm, I have an itch. I've got to scratch. If I don't scratch, I'll go crazy. It's really probably bad for me not to scratch. Probably the body sets up this itch-scratch cycle in order for its own health. And if I ignore the cycle, I'm ignoring my health and I'm really meditating for my health, so aren't I being counterproductive? Okay, you see what I'm saying? Do your minds work like that? Okay, thank you. I didn't want to feel all alone. And some spiritual practices give meaning to suffering and even elevate suffering, and they say suffering is redemptive. But the Buddhist practice just says suffering is unnecessary, and here's how you avoid it. You have to get it first, and then you have to practice the other eight parts of the path. So your, your beginning is allowing yourself the space and the quiet to see what's happening inside your mind, what stories you're telling yourself. Another part of right understanding is um, to understand the law of karma. And this is a Buddhist teaching and a Hindu teaching before that, because Buddhism arises from Hinduism, which is older, um, that what you do in your life affects you 
either in this life or later on. And what they say is, you are the right owner of your actions. You can't, you can't blame anybody else. So-and-so made me do it. The devil, it just not, doesn't fly in Buddhism. You are the owner of your actions, and you are like a person living downstream from a hog farm or a, a, a chemical plant. If your actions are what, what Buddhism calls unwholesome, they don't say good or bad, but they say wholesome and unwholesome, which I think is kind of the same thing. But um, if you have actions that are not you know, good for you or not wholesome for you or actions that are destructive, you're living downstream from those actions. They're going to come by you. And so that is just all you need to understand is the law of karma and unwholesome actions ripen into suffering. So suffering arises from craving. Um, despair arises from hope and fear. The way to end craving is to walk this eightfold path. Wake up. The visual that I have in mind when I think about this is a story that a friend told me of her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law was a lovely uh, woman who, who was, uh, just, she, she looked at the world in a funny way, I'll say. And she was going, she was in the bank at the drive through window. Okay. So she's in the drive through window in the bank and you know how sometimes they give you a pen in that little pneumatic tube thing and you fill out your stuff with the pen and then you put it back. Well, the bank's pen dropped under her seat. So she's in the drive through window and she's trying to get the pen to give it back to the bank. And she's saying to the woman, I can, I can reach it. I just can't pull it up when I got my hand around it. I can't get it up because my hand is too big. And I'm trying, and meanwhile, cars are piling up behind her. (laughs) And the woman in the window is just like, just let go. Let it go. Quit. You can take it. You can take it with you, really. And so I think of, you know, trying to grab a pen under the seat and get it, and the cars are piling up, and I just have to, let it go because I want to be smarter than they. You know what I mean? A lone wild bird in lofty flight is still with thee, nor leaves thy sight. And I am thine, I rest in thee. Great Spirit, come and rest in me. Go in peace. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.